Welcome to Collier's Talks, a podcast series featuring the latest trends, insights, research, and developments in commercial real estate in Canada and beyond. Welcome to our first quarter 2021 GTA Investment Market Overview. My name is Rulof Van Dyke, Collier's is Senior Director for Research and Analytics for Canada, and I'm joined by Jeremiah Shamis, who's our Vice President for the Private Capital Group here in the GTA. And we're going to talk a little bit about what's impacting the GTA investment market. Uh, we should probably start with a little bit of conversation about volumes, pricing. Well, what else should we talk about, Jeremiah? <laughs> oh, thanks for having me, Ruli. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, well, I think we really should talk about the different asset classes and how they are reacting in this new market we're seeing. Obviously, there's a few paradigm shifts that are happening, specifically in residential land with some policy changes. Um, the Hamilton area is going through a little bit of a waking up or a maturing. And we obviously are seeing sheds and beds as usual, industrial and apartments uh, seeing significant rises as everyone starts to think about inflationary forces coming in. So excited to dig into it. And I think we're all excited to put 2020 behind us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it's interesting because uh, Q1 2020 was was a, a pretty strong quarter, but we all know what happened since then with, uh, with the pandemic. But um, Q1 2021 was was even stronger, I believe. And, you know, we should probably start by then discussing the volumes uh, that, that we've seen in the last quarter. Absolutely. It was almost surprising, really, when you think about it. Why is 2021 so aggressively um, in the volume and the velocity of the market? Residential land was up 72 percent year over year. It led the way in volume. There was a few very large transactions, primarily one in Yorkville, but we were almost at $2 billion in Q1 of residential land sales. Industrial was up significantly to 81% uh, year over year from Q1. And then you had retail surprisingly up 35% from last year in Q1 as well. And you wouldn't think that was happening. But when you dig into the data, you see that the deals sub $10 million, there was a significant amount of volume in those smaller deals. And what it looked like on the ground level trading real estate was small retail plazas, a small grocery anchored plazas, and private investors were realizing that essential based services like dry cleaners, and mail shops and whatnot, although they were closed for some of the pandemic, they still did quite well throughout when they were able to open up. So you saw a lot of private investors looking for assets like this, but more so looking to find retail plazas that had redevelopment potential in the long term. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, it's one thing to buy it for the for the use, but another thing to buy it for the land underneath, right? And that that seems to be one of the big plays. Um, and it's interesting you bring up some of those points because we're seeing them across the country as well, uh, market to market. And it's also interesting to see not only that there's a ton of investment flow coming into the GTA, but there it's it's happening in Montreal as well. And, and it seems like a lot of players have, have gotten over that uh, general idea of concerns in the past about where where the country is going and where Quebec uh, is going. So it's it's good to see it's a national trend. I mean, what about pricing? I mean, we, we have these these pricing numbers here uh, that we're looking at. And I think it's not surprising that you see pricing going up in certain asset types 
And um, some, it might be surprising, like office, it's it's going up despite all the uncertainty. And land, I mean, land going down, does that make sense to you? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, really. It's, it's funny to notice that there has been so much wealth created in the last 25 years in the greater Toronto area, in the Hamilton area, that you see a lot of recycling of capital. You see private owners getting out of assets that are quite attractive to institutions, especially in the apartment space, in the industrial space. And they're recycling that capital into different asset classes, different geographies that they might see fit, value-added assets, core plus type real estate. And because there's so much recycling of capital, because someone has done well in, say, another investment, they're willing to pay maybe a slight premium in certain asset classes where they see a lot of demand. And you'll see this primarily in the middle market assets in the range of, call it, 10 to $25 million in the greater Toronto area. You see that the private buyer is actually buying assets that the institution maybe had originally wanted to purchase, but is sitting on the sidelines specifically for suburban assets and core plus and core downtown office. So the private buyer is actually able to buy these assets without competition from the institutions. So because of that, you see the private buyer taking a very long-term view on some of these properties that they're buying, looking for great corners, good real estate, good tenancies, and they're thinking, let's look at the next 15 to 25 years. I'm okay purchasing, say, an office building in Mississauga at a 575 cap because I believe in Mississauga in the long term. Or say looking at downtown Hamilton, you know, purchasing a six cap, whereas they can see a long-term growth pattern in that market too. So really what we're really seeing here is a recycling of a lot of wealth. We're seeing that people are realizing that there is still demand and that there is still a certain amount of assets that do have some juice on the bones. But of course, you know, every buyer is going to say well, everything's overpriced, but, you know, the proof is in the pudding here in the data. There's still a lot of demand. The velocity in the market is quite substantial and you do still see um, a price appreciation in certain markets. Yeah. And I think just hitting that red arrow going down on land, it's it's more of a mix of the assets that sold. And you see that from time to time in, in different markets as well. And, and even when you're looking at average rents, but I imagine you would agree with my statement of land prices have gone up. So don't expect that deal if you see this red arrow here today. Yeah, that's right. And, and ICI land is trades a little differently than say a residential land, for example, in Q1 of 2022, there's going to be a major policy change in the Toronto area um, for what's called inclusionary zoning. So this has caused a major spike in residential land sales for most of these developers looking to provide pipeline for the next two, three years while there's some uncertainty with these new policy changes requiring for affordable housing to be built into residential land. But specifically to your point, on ICI land, you know, the pricing has gone down, but that's only because it's harder to find tenants in office land and retail land, and it's more speculative. Whereas you have industrial land seeing some price increasing, but overall, you know, 
it's still the volume is up, but the, the pricing is down and you're finding it harder to find these deals. And people are just looking for more high quality. So there's this flight to very good assets and you know assets that have more speculation are seeing lower volumes and that's causing some of the price decrease that you see here. Yeah, and it's it's a function of what entirety of what sold as opposed to the, you know, if you were buying the same same land uh this year versus last year, it's it's gone up unfortunately. So you 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 mentioned a lot about private buyers earlier and so Obviously, we should have a quick chat about that. I mean, clearly, private buyers are, are always a fundamental player in commercial real estate across the country. I mean, they're obviously not the ones that are looking at $500 million assets, but that is few and far in between of, of most of the transactions that you see across the country. So, I mean, the GTA, you're looking at private buyers uh, making up about 60 uh, plus percent on any given year. Talk to us a bit about uh, about what those players are looking for and what looking at. Yeah, that's right. So there was a decrease of 6% of private buyers getting into the market in 2020, but we believe that's not really an estimate as far as the overall sentiment in the market. There has again been this massive creation of wealth in the last 25 years in the greater Toronto area, in the Hamilton area. And because of that, these private buyers are recycling capital and looking for different types of assets that they can set up for the next 10 to 15 years of the life cycle of these assets that they're looking to purchase. Also, because real estate is an inflationary hedge, you have seen a lot of different people who maybe had a business that did some kind of other, other types of you know, widget or they or they're in the tech business and they were actually outside of real estate. They're looking, where do we want to put part of our assets and our investment into the future. We want to allocate 20 to 30% of that into real estate. Real estate has now become a very formidable and a very specific part of the investment thesis for any high net worth individual coming out of any assets. So because you have a, certainly a large amount of baby boomers and lower assets that are turning over other businesses, you see a lot of that wealth going into real estate. And that's primarily the private buyer. So, you know, we continue to track specifically private buyers. That's, of course, our, our capital group name. And it's because we believe in the future, they're going to continue to make up the majority of buyers um, outpacing the institutions who will do very large transactions, but, you know, continue to be very sensitive to the different investment trends in the market. Yeah. And are these... Um... I mean, we also need to talk about the foreign side of things. We know foreign takes up a, a nice little chunk every year, uh, foreign investment into commercial real estate. And we have some data here that approximately 33% of all the foreign capital that comes into Canada finds its way into the GTA. Is this increasing? Are they they doing this for the same reasons? Or are they just trying to get money out of other jurisdictions? Is this, you know, talk to us a bit about that if if you can. Yeah, that's a good point, really. Thank you. Um, so Canada continues to be a very attractive place to put money. You know, as far as the G8s, we are still one of the highest places of um, rather one of the lowest unemployment percentages of the G8. We still continue to be a large account for um, all the qualitative metrics as far as why to live in Canada. 
Um, so there are reasons as to why people want to be in Canada, and that continues to showcase in the volume of assets that are or the volume of commercial real estate investment from foreign buyers. We are seeing a little bit of discrepancy here between true foreign buyers and actual people that have not been born in Canada, but have set up shop in Canada. So, you know, depending on the definition there, um, we are seeing quite a bit of that. And as you mentioned, 32.8% of the last buyers that are actually bringing assets or cash rather into Canada are actually coming into the greater Toronto area. And that's because when a foreign buyer comes in, they're naturally going to look at exactly where is the lowest risk place for me to place my capital. So on a general sentiment, the Toronto area, because of our financial core and our financial services, we have a lot of low risk for bringing in capital here. And this spins off different assets. And of course, it's a bit of a compounding effect where you have buyers that come in, they tell their friends, they tell their family members, and those assets continue to come through. So we get quite a few requests for new players that are coming into the market, Asian capital, Middle Eastern capital, and even South American and the US are starting to look, you know, although the actual investment returns can be smaller in some cases to some of the markets in the US, the risk is actually lower when you look at the compounding effect of the amount of population and demographics coming into the greater Toronto area. And the last point I might add, a data piece that I find very interesting, is the Toronto area is actually growing at a greater return than Manhattan and New York did during its great demographic boom from 1930 to 1970. It grew at roughly 70,000 people per year. Toronto is actually growing roughly at 100,000 people per year every year. And here we are, you know, now the largest, the third largest city in North America. Um, we still have uh, free healthcare. We still have good areas to live in, safe areas to live in. And I think that continues to provide a, an exceptional place for foreign capital to put their money on both qualitative and quantitative basis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you bring up some really good points. I probably just address a couple of the uh, the other bars on this graph. I mean, Montreal specifically, seeing a lot of interest, um, but that's coming primarily. I wouldn't say primarily, but it's it's coming um, a lot of big deals on the seniors housing multifamily side recently. And then uh, Edmonton might be surprising to some of our viewers simply because, um, you know, 13.6% of all capital went there over the last two years. But a big chunk of that involved DECA placing about uh, 500 million, I believe, into uh, the Stantec Tower. So that that's one major transactions, whereas Vancouver you know, the actual percentage probably suffered a little bit because of where the capital went to some of the other the other markets. <laughs> so I guess a big part of, of why people are investing in real estate in general, uh, Canada as well, is, is yield. I mean, everyone's really searching for yield. And it's interesting to see how the cap rates have have measured up against things like the the Bank of Canada 10 year bond, which has more than doubled in the last uh, four four months since the end of 2020. And how, you know, Canadian cap rates in general, which are averaging about 500 or 5.5% and GTA cap rates in specific at 4.7% on average, really compare to that. They, we haven't seen a big uptick, um, but we have seen the the risk premium. I mean, the, these cap rates, the 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 15 year average uh, risk premium is now 
the current premium is below that by 40 basis points. So maybe we can talk a bit about where investors are seeing risk in, in commercial real estate. And then we can also go into uh, asset specific is probably more telling because I know when you look at multifamily, it's still going down. Industrial cap rates are still going down, uh, whereas your your office and and retail, they've moved up a little bit. Yeah, if you could shed some light on that. Oh, that's that's a good point. Thank you, really. Um, specifically, you know, of course, cap rates are an effect of where the risk is for each asset class and how investors view that risk. And truly what we've been continuing to see is that the age old sentiment location is everything continues to prove right. And while you'll see something like a pharmacy with a 10 year lease on it trade for sub four cap rate or around a four cap rate in downtown Toronto or along a subway line, you'll actually see that a suburban office is trading below 6% cap in say a suburban area on good corners in locations with access to schools and education institutions. And because of that, we're seeing that again, the private buyers are making up most of these buyers uh, that are, are executing on these sales rather. And again, it's because they're looking in the long term, where do we think we want to be in the next 15 years? And it's coming down to location specific and covenant specific. So in the middle of 2020, you saw a bit of a down piece there in the last slide, rather, where you know we had a low point in our spread. But the thing is, is that there is still a general sentiment that Toronto's continues to be fairly low risk, and it's more looking at the covenant, the quality of the building and the location. And those three things are making up the majority of how investors are making their decisions. And we are continuing to see that investors believe the risk for these assets is really not that great. And there is still the general sentiment that interest rates will continue to remain at least relatively flat in the near future. You know, whereas we are starting to see some pretty significant inflationary forces. It's probably too early to tell whether that's a stagflation or whether these greater forces of deflationary um, low birth rates will actually have an impact of, on that risk. But right now on the ground level, as you mentioned, most people are looking at the Toronto area as fairly low cap rates. They're looking at downtown Hamilton as being you know, more risk value added type market, but again, looking at location specific assets on corners, good covenants and buildings that don't need a lot of deferred CapEx. I think you, you raised some good points on the, the economic outlook. I mean, one thing that everyone keeps talking about is the amount of people that have left uh, cities during this pandemic. Um, and yeah, there's, there's been about 50,000 people, as reported recently, 50,000 people left the GTA in 2020. And that seems like a very alarming number. But when you look at it on average, uh, the GTA loses about 47,000 people each year through net intercity migration, right? But that's generally backfilled by a huge amount of, of new immigrants to the to the country coming directly to the GTA or or people traveling across the country. And obviously we we missed out on that 
in the last year, but uh, the the projections are that that's going to come back pretty swiftly uh, once once we start opening things back up again. So I, I completely agree with you. The economic outlook is is good. The population growth, uh, although natural population growth, not so much. The immigration side will more than make up for that, and you know that that lends itself to commercial real estate uh, and the need for more commercial real estate uh, <laughs> across all assets. Growth exactly. And one key data point we don't have in here is that when you actually look at the lottery selection for permanent residencies in Canada, those numbers by Canada has continued to stay at the same pace set by the immigration standards the years prior. So you have a number of people that are in Canada that are becoming Canadians officially, and those numbers are actually still fairly consistent you know, obviously the others coming into the country that has changed a bit, but we do see that Canada is continuing to take a pledge for the future to bring in skilled labor and skilled um, investors, you know, to be permanent residents. And um, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but those would be interesting to look at in the future. Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about a lot of good stuff. We haven't talked too much about distress. <laughs> and we know there's some distress going on. I mean, when you look at the actual hard numbers, distress deal activity is definitely up. It, as far as, you know, full year data still for, for 2020, it, it accounted for just over 3% of deals across the GTA. I mean, do you, do you see do you see it still playing out as the year progresses or as as companies start reopening, as you know, people, consumers start getting back out there with the vaccine rollout, will that put companies and, and owners of real estate in, in better positions? So ones, particularly, I guess, the ones that have been suffering a bit, will that, will that help them? Um, will they be able to, to continue going here and, and then we see these distress numbers subside? I, you know, I, I think so. I think there's still more distress to play through the market. Probably you're looking at 18 months, they, you know, traditionally, we looked at the data in the past, it's been about an 18-month threshold from the primary period of recession to the end. But, you know, it is important to see that although there are a percentage of distressed deals are increasing, the price has not actually decreased drastically. And I, again, I believe that's because that theme of private capital and the amount of money in the market is to the point where it's been at to use an overused word, unprecedented levels. There's so much cash in the market, really, and that's causing distressed assets to not go through the traditional bottom barrel pricing as you've seen in other past recessions. But you're seeing now that even with problem assets, there's so much money in the market. The buyers are willing to look at the bottom as maybe not as, as far as the bottom has been in the past. So while this slide looks alarming and it is in fact quite alarming in some ways the pricing metric in the amount of distressed capital is actually not playing out as as badly as you can see and a great point to this this is more a u.s metric but um sam zell who is you know the quote-unquote grave dancer the distressed buyer he just bought an industrial asset um, portfolio at top pricing and he has not put a lot of money into distress so i think him along with a lot of other investors institutional both private capital and high net worth have realized that wait a second 
We expected the prices to go down drastically because we are seeing a lot of distressed deals. There is so much capital in the market that that bottom of those distressed deals is not nearly at the discount that it was in past distress or in past recessions, rather. Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's probably one of the the key takeaways, which brings us to to this slide here. And you know, number three on that list is is mind the gap that mismatch between the buyers and the sellers, and it even exists like. I think buyers are are looking for the deal. They know there's unfortunately not enough deals out there for what everyone wants because everyone wants to get in on on the bed sheds and and redevs. And part of that comes down to to land. And I mean, I think you could probably elaborate more on the residential land side and and how that's playing out. Yeah, it's again, it's in the GTA specifically. We have this policy change. Inclusionary zoning is coming into place January first, twenty twenty two. May 1st, 2022, you actually have Toronto Green Standards version 4 coming. That's further increasing hard costs. You know, construction costs have been going up 20% year over year. But these changes have drastically pushed developers to move and fill up their pipelines for the next two to three years. So that's why when you look at the data, it is up 72% year over year. But more importantly, you know, there continues to be this growth pace in housing Multifamily, you know, obviously has been a major uh, golden boy in this recession, but residential land specifically, because people realize there is still a great demand for places to live and people want to own and both rent this, this continues to be a bright spot as well. It goes to show, though, with these policy changes, what will actually happen next year. We're not entirely sure in the residential area in, in Toronto. But, you know, it's it's uh, it's still a good bright spot. And I think people are going to continue to see that Toronto is a good place to invest. It's a good place to live. And you know, although the other asset classes may go in up and downs, we do know that we are seeing continued uh, growth and, and um, investment as far as um, uh, a key takeaway for 2021. Yeah. And I think, I mean, when we look at some of the asset types, uh, specifically on multifamily, we know there's a lot of generational wealth invested in multifamily. And some of those uh, folks are are looking to cash out now, um, you know, looking at that, those mounting CapEx needs on their on their assets and the limited gr- rank growth potential, I think, over the next year or two. And so they're looking to sell some institutional players and other players are, are looking at that as a, as a great opportunity to, to pick up some of these assets because they're looking at the long term, which is, is very uh, positive. And then furthermore, you know, you look at some of the other stuff, industrial, we know e-commerce is going to drive demand there. Like, no surprise, there's even more on the manufacturing side on, on the change in supply management from just in time to just in case will fuel warehousing needs. And then there's, you know, video film studios that need space and so forth. So industrial is going to be fine for for years to come. And then retail, like it's, it's, you'd say it's asset specific, but we, we talked to investors, both, both of us. And, you know, a lot of them that hold retail assets, they want to keep it for the redevelopment potential, but they're also fielding requests from, you know, numerous players looking to pick up those assets, like unsolicited requests to to sell. And they're, you know, everyone wants to get in on these redevelopment plays, it seems like. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, I would add just the last piece, although 
the volume of office sales was down. It was the only asset class that had, you know, some volume velocity moved down about 18% uh, quarter one over quarter one last year. We are seeing, though, a lot of buyers looking for suburban office and neighborhood specific office. So we are seeing there's a change from tenants looking for large, you know, tower based offices like we're in here in downtown Toronto and Brookfield Place and looking to move into locations that are user based office. You know, we've just sold four of these buildings in the last little while and people are starting to think if I have to be close to home, I'd rather be in an office. I want a separation between work and home. So although this work from home trend will continue, we are seeing still a pretty good demand, um, roughly meaning on the pricing levels for suburban office, neighborhood office, and user office specific. And this is more on the middle market realm. So roughly 75,000 square feet and below those metrics, I think, will continue to rise upwards, whereas the large office is really showing why the volume of sales has been down 18% year over year. You're not seeing those large institutional assets trade anymore. Yeah, and there's there's no need for those to trade right now. Um, and you know, my my two cents on the office sector is uh, I'm I'm not negative at all on the sector. There's a place for office in in most work uh, employee and employer uh, situations here. Uh, you know, work from home is going to be part of of the new normal, but it's not going to be a five day a week work from home. So you know, That's there's true. a need there's a need for office. We've seen dramatic increase in employ in employment in the office using sectors of finance, insurance, real estate. Uh, professional scientific technical services so that's going to feed demand and again like i said it, it might not feed uh demand at the exact same threshold as it did pre-pandemic but it's still going to feed demand so i think you're absolutely right there's a there's a good place for office in in any uh, portfolio so we we've talked about a lot we could obviously talk along for another uh, hour probably <laughs> um but uh, i really thank you very much for for joining me jeremiah it was it was really great uh, again, uh, my name is Rulof Van Dyke, and this is Jeremiah Shamus. Thank you again, and always uh, great to see your insight on the research side, even in uh, us being Toronto and Hamilton specific here. Yeah, and uh, hopefully you guys will join us again in uh, in another quarter when we uh, discuss what's happening at mid year. So thank yes. you. We'll see you in Q two. Thanks, really. Thanks for listening to Collier's Talks podcast. To learn more about Collier's Canada, our experts, and our solutions, visit colliers.canada.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.